amazing, Mike, how far downtown Houston in the, I don't know, let's call it the 20 or 30 square blocks maybe around Minute Maid Park, how far it has come in roughly the last 10 years or so. Oh, I would, I would absolutely agree. Welcome to Roughly a Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Boyd, and I'm joined by my lovely and talented co-host, Phil Smeraldo, a.k.a. Will Smith. Phil Smith. I'm so sorry. Phil Smith. Which, this, it, which you asked, one? You asked the great question here. Which one? Phil, we're talking both of them. Combined. Combined. There are two Will Smiths currently gallivanting around the league, getting jiggy with it. Uh, one is the catcher for the Dodgers. The other one is the closer for the Atlanta Braves. So tackle that as you may. Okay. The closer for the um, for the for the Braves has been around longer, but the Will Smith for the Dodgers, who's the catcher, is actually very good. Yes. And I'm not sure the Will Smith for the Braves is that good. The Will Smith so for the Braves, say, let's I'll, I'll just give you a little little context. Yeah. He, he started out in Kansas City as a starter, just for a little. Then he, then he became a reliever. Um, now he is the full-time closer for the Braves. He's having his best season since his oh, season. Okay. And having his best season in the last couple of years since the Braves signed him after a very good season for the Giants in, I believe, 2018. So but here's the thing. The other Will Smith would be the one that would be the war accumulator, but his career is very young. Yes. So that, that Will Smith has only been in there for three seasons. This is his yeah. first as a primary starter. I'm going to say they have not cracked 20 war. I'm going to say they're at 17 combined. Okay. Not bad. You were correct. They have not cracked 20. Uh, Will Smith, the reliever, is 5.9. And okay. Will Smith, the catcher, despite this being his only first, only full pro, pro season so far as a primary starter, 6.9. So add okay. that up. Was that 12.8? 12.8. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, you're, you're in the neighborhood. I don't know if that's yeah. your, your best effort, but uh, given that it was a, a, a twin-headed beast, I, th- I think you tackled that okay. Well, can I, can I tell you something? Yeah. It's, I am just, I can't even think about war or anything. I, I think this is the most mad <laughs> I'm ever going to be on a podcast, on any of our podcasts ever. I am seething right now after watching that game last night. And, you know, I, I texted you something to this effect that, I usually, and like, it's very easy to be like the cool headed, like stats. Oh, well, let's dive into this or let's dive into that. When you're 30 games out of first place and, you know, 20 back of a wild card, when you are staring every game in the face as a must win game, it's really easy. I understand why Yankees fans and Red Sox fans are like stupid sometimes because when the games mean so much, you don't want to hear about, well, oh, that had an expected batting average of 520. You just want to see the ball hit the grass. And I was very much that way when Kikuchi was walking everybody yesterday. I could not have been more depressed and not, not just and Not just walking everybody, not throwing a single strike. Yeah. It, it was like eight straight pitches that I think went for, for walks in the second inning that he didn't even finish. Um, yeah, I, I was, I was crafting the, the Trident for this, this podcast. And I was thinking, you know, uh, we'll talk about the Jerry DePoto and Scott service extensions. We'll talk about how good this bullpen looks. Maybe we'll talk about how, you know, JP Crawford's big day at a certain point. I was just like, I just need to have space for, for the frustrations, the highs and the lows of officially yeah. being in a playoff race. And so we will get there, my friend, and you will vent and you will, you will sweat and you will, you will scare your dog with how, how much you yell. 
but uh this yeah. could be the most mad most fired up i've ever been on a podcast so all right we'll, we'll see. clench your teeth as i get through the the news all and right. notes of, of of the last week because it was a, a relatively good week save the uh the uh, abysmal effort last night Tuesday, so right after we had finished recording last episode, Abraham Toro breaks a 0-0 scoreless tie. Imagine that, being 0-0 with the Astros into the eighth inning uh, with a grand slam off of Kendall Graveman and just a cruel twist of irony for, or I don't not even cruel, just a hilarious thing. Uh, and, of course, that happened. M's win 4-0. Wednesday, Logan Gilbert has his quote-unquote best game, according to Scott Service. He goes uh, shut out, shuts out the Astros once again, one nothing. Abraham Toro hits a sack fly. That's the difference in that ball game. Friday, into Arizona, Jared Kellenick hits a two-run homer and a game-winning single in the 10th after the M's blow a lead in that game. Saturday, Marco Gonzalez's first bad start since, like, July. Uh, Kyle Seeger hits two three-run homers against uh, a Castellanos. And uh, the, Mariner, the, the Mariners win it 8-5 in that one. Sunday, the Mariners tied up late 3-3, blow it in the 11th, or blow it open in the 11th and win 10-4 in that game uh, as an attempt to assault the run differential. And then last night, where Yusei Kikuchi truly no-shows. Uh, the game felt over. <laughs> you, were, you were on this earlier than I was. I was willing to, to get through that first inning and say that it was, it was everything was going to be fine. Uh, that first inning told us everything we wanted to know. His velocity was down. His control was everywhere. Uh, it was it was a disaster. That game felt over in the bottom of the second. And uh, I, I think I, I sent something to you after the first inning, and he got out of it with, you know, he picked off the guy at second base or yep. whatever. But even just watching after that first inning, I was like, this is a good, this is going to be a bad, bad game for him. And he just, he, he it's like, I don't know what happened from his last start to this one, but he looked horrendous just mm-hmm. absolutely i don't know if it's the air in houston or maybe it's the lack of sticky stuff i have no idea what's going on but right off the bat that was maybe the worst performance i've seen all year he's performed well in houston though early in the year yeah. he had a huge start there going head to head against granky that he took a no-no into the seventh there i mean it's it's you know it, that, i guess that's small sample but it's it, there's no reason after the start we just saw him have for that to happen uh but it did and for the purposes of this part of the podcast, we'll just kind of move on and, and talk about the, the, you know, ins and outs of that in a little bit. But yeah. uh, the, the beauty of that is that the Mariners do get to flush the toilet on that game and just hope, you know, the, the next game starts zero zero and Logan Gilbert can do what Kukuchi can't and, uh, you know, put on a masterclass for how to stop the Astros lineup, but it, it sure seems tough. Other news, uh, Justice Sheffield, Diego Castillo and, and Anthony Mischewitz are back uh, from their IL stints. Jake Fraley with the sneakiest IL stint I've ever seen in my life. All of a sudden he was just not on the team. Didn't really think twice about it. And uh, now he's on the 10 day IL with shoulder inflammation, which seems to be um, contagious among the Mariners. Kyle Lewis uh, was trying to read. Wouldn't be the first communicable disease that he's spread in my clubhouse. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) Unlike the other one. Uh, this this one you can't get a vaccination for. Uh, Kyle Lewis has soreness in his right knee uh, as he's trying to rehab from the surgery on his torn meniscus from a couple months ago. That will delay his ability to play games for AAA Tacoma. You and I talked about this last week. Starting to think we might not uh, see Kyle Lewis this year. Um, he's not coming back. They just announced it today. Oh, that's that's official. Great. Like okay. 20 minutes ago. I meant ah. to tell you right before the podcast started, but it just news broke. He was uh, doing some sliding exercises um, on his way to his rehab stint. And the last hurdle you have to clear is doing some sliding exercises. 
came up weird from a slide diagnosed later bone bruise in the knee. And, you know, that's something that generally speaking is like a, what service was saying is like a four or five day thing, but just in the conglomeration of all of these things put together, they thought it was best to just shut him down for the rest of the year. <sighs> Probably wise, but um, yeah, see, seeing Fraley out and seeing another Jake Bowers start and seeing Jer- Jared Kellenick look woeful in center field the last couple of days, that is uh, that's certainly tough tough news to swallow. Moving on, uh, Andres Munoz uh, seems like he might be able to to sneak in at the end mm-hmm. of the season again. This is the hard throwing right hander who had Tommy John uh, that was out for the year coming back from the the uh, Thai France trade last trade deadline. Uh, he could sneak in. at late September, early October for a few starts. So it'd be nice to see him if nothing else. Um, but um, that might depend on where the Mariners find themselves in a playoff race, whether they can trust him or not. But um, curious, it, it is interesting. Yeah, that, I don't that even, I don't know. In. I don't know how good this guy is. And I, I'm, I'm assuming he's going to be pretty good for the Mariners. But God, could you imagine, you know, they're neck and neck with the Red Sox and they put in a guy who we haven't seen all year. I just wouldn't, I don't know if I would trust that. Like, I, you know, I'd rather go with a guy, a known commodity rather than, oh, well, maybe this guy will work out. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. And, um, but then again, Johan Ramirez has, has, has went from a uh, complete wild card to dependable uh, bullpen stop. So anything is possible. Real, point. real quick thing to note on Johan Ramirez. Um, they dropped his arm slot from over, over the top to a three quarters arm slot. And what the pitching coordinator, I think his name is Max Wiener, uh, or it might be, it's not Pete Worldworth. It's uh, who's the other guy I'm forgetting. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another guy that does pitching coordinating in the Mariners, you know, organization, but apparently that has helped Johan sort of find more consistency within the strike zone. Cause the stuff has always been there. I mean, he has a, you know, almost hundred mile an hour fastball and a wipeout slider very much when he's on looking like a uh, redux of Edwin Diaz, but it's just been the problem of locating the ball in the strike zone. We'll have to keep our eye on that and see if post um, arm drop down, arm slide drop down, he's able to find the strike zone with more consistency. Certainly looked like it on the last two outings on the last yep. two occasions. Probably Trent blank who is behind, behind yeah, that move. Trent yeah. blank. There you yeah. go. Uh, yeah. The name I was looking for. I have very affectionate things to say about Johan Ramirez in a little bit here. Um, but uh, just final things before we get into it. Minor league moves. Uh, your boy. Remember this one? Milkar Perez. Do you remember dropping yes. that name months ago? Uh, yeah. Milkar Perez has gone from wherever he was before to Modesto. He was at the ACL. Yeah, he yeah. was in the... Um... He was in the summer com- or the spring complex or fall of whatever complex. I'm naming yeah. every single season. <laughs> yeah, but, down, uh, down he was down, down in Peoria has, is now playing minor league baseball. A name that was a total dart from you months ago as a name to keep an eye on uh, is moving on up, and that's that's pretty cool. I think this guy's real good. I mean, if you look at his plate discipline metrics and stuff, he walks more. I mean, granted, he's got so far to go. I mean, he's just now getting into actual affiliated baseball. But, like, you look at the power and the patience profile from this guy, it looks like there's some something there. I mean, I would not be at all surprised. That he's going to start next season with Loe Modesto. But I would not be at all surprised to see his name be on that. I, I don't think it's fair to compare, but, like, a Noel V. Marte trajectory where right now he's kind of on the outside fringes of that top hundred next year he could easily move into the you know 40s 50s 60s range and then by the time he's where no is you know 
he'll be where Noel V is. And he took uh, a, the spot in Modesto because there are a couple open ones because Noel V Marte and Alberto Rodriguez, who was the player to be named later in the Ty- Taiwan Walker trade at mm-hmm. last year's trade deadline, uh, who he himself is just 20 years old with a WRC plus of 127 in Modesto, was just the player of the month in Low Wave West. Both of those guys, Noel V and Alberto, are moving to Everett. So uh, I think this, this, this Everett season will wrap up pretty quick here. Uh, as well the rest of minor league baseball and this was a undoubted huge success for Noel V Marte to do as much as he did for being just oh, 20, yeah. 20 years old this year there's a 19 unbelievable uh yeah unbelievable tra- uh, trajectory for him nobody very uh, not nobody but very few uh Dominican players who are in their first year stateside which is what Noel, Noel V is get promoted past low a baseball and for him to already have made it to high a and yes he will start next year at high a again um but you're talking about a guy who's not anymore three years away if he starts high a next year he'll be promoted to double a if things go well and then a year later you start the season in double a you're you're on the doorstep so no he's coming and it's just been nothing but success so far in terms of his development october 16th the will be marte turns 20. So wow. yes, the things, things are young great. guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, good, good news there. All right. Try and we go prong one. We are talking about a playoff race. The Mariners f- currently find themselves three games back of Boston, three and a half back of the Yankees tied with Toronto, who is just beating everyone's ass right now. Uh, they are a game ahead of Oakland and the Red Sox have a COVID up- outbreak. Their roster has been decimated as a result of that. Uh, the Mariners did miss an, a golden opportunity yesterday with the Yankees and Red Sox both losing. Uh, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, who are we kidding? We were playing Houston. Have you seen the, these these stats about the Mariners' last 25 games in Minute Maid Park? I have. They're something like 3-22, and 22, correct? Uh, roughly, yes, exactly. 3-22. and 22. They've been outscored by 112 runs in those 25 games, 4.5 per game. Uh, Xander Bogarts is pretty good, right? Yeah. Okay, He's so very Z- good. yes, Xander Bogarts has an OPS of 867. The Astros, the Astros team OPS, the entire team, one through nine, has an OPS of 871 in these last 25 games against the Mariners. So the every yes. single batter is just a world beater in yeah. the mid park against the Mariners. That's not good. No, <laughs> that's actually quite bad. I, I have this I, analogy for you watching a, a Mariners game against Houston at Minute Maid Park is like hoping a really old, slow man pushing a shopping cart full of puppies is going to make it across a train track in time with a speeding train coming. And you just know yeah, it's, it's, it's not, not going to happen. And it's it's horrifying and you have to look away because it, so like, it feels like winning one there is just pure luck at this point. <laughs> like everything has to break right for us to just win one. And it sucks. I And we actually played we played them so tough when they're in Seattle is again, I keep reverting back and I know I'm getting like upset or angry, I guess, I suppose. But like, how, how do you, how do you revert back to that? Is there a psychological thing just walking into minute Maid park or because there's just no way they get, um, you know, absolutely trounced the last time they're in minute Maid. you say, and Logan have horrid, horrid outings. And then you say, and Logan come back, have amazing outings, in Seattle. And now, you know, we're setting up for a repeat of, of what happened in Houston just a couple of weeks ago. I just don't understand it. I, I don't know if it's a psychological thing with, at this point, but I, 
it's it's just not good. It's so frustrating because the Mariners have been, you know, the, the run differential being what it is, the Mariners have been competitive against basically every other team this year. Uh, the, the Dodgers have given them trouble, but they didn't play them that much. The Padres gave them trouble, but I think that was a weird time for us to play mm-hmm. them. Uh, and then we, some for some reason, can't beat the Royals or the Tigers, but that's, you know, that's that's got to be yeah. fluky. Uh, you know, we're, we're about to play Boston. We're about to play a bunch, bunch of games against Oakland. I am not afraid of those teams. No, no, not at all. The, the Mariners, the Mariners have showed that they can play with those teams and they are, they are equivalents, um, you know, in the same ballpark as them skill wise, talent wise, effectiveness wise against the Astros. It is like you said, it, it, it feels like the only way you can win is if, you know, you hit a, sh- uh, a line drive off of the starting pitcher's shin and take him out of the game. Like, but that, but that's why it's so frustrating is because, okay, we play, we play good against Oakland. We compete with Oakland. We go nose to nose with them it's not clear who's the better team. We go nose to nose with Boston. It's not clear who's the better team. We go nose to nose with the White Sox. We can go nose to nose with pretty much every team Tor- in Major League Baseball. Yeah. But, and, and those teams, they have no problem going nose to nose or at least being competitive with Houston. Mm-hmm. Why, why is it when we play Houston, sorry for a crude um, turn of phrase here, but why is it we shit our pants? I just don't understand what's going on and and it makes me believe there is something to this notion of walking into Houston and psychologically feeling like you've already lost because you've lost 22 out of the last 25 when you've played there yeah and uh, you know a, a great bulk of the uh the numbers there in Houston are in the pre John boy era where they you know they got found found out so take that for granted you know as you will but this year, you know, no, no one's there to confirm this, but I, you know, I don't think they're cheating to the same degree that they were back then. And they're still kicking our teeth in. And uh, it's, it's, it's frustrating because, you know, we only have two more games left there this year and we could lose both of them and still be in the playoff hunt if things break right. But um, you know, it does, it goes back to this eternal question that you and I have had on these airwaves for so long, this chasm between us and the Astros. And until you can it, compete there, it, it, you know, it's, there's a ceiling. But you know, what's what we weird. Have. I don't feel, I don't feel like when Houston comes to play us and they're in Seattle, I just feel like, okay, this is going to be a tough series, but I feel like we can snag one or two. Mm-hmm. When we go there, it's just walking into an absolute house of horrors. Like I will feel blessed if we get one, you know, and I just don't know why I feel that way. Cause we know statistically the home road diff, uh, advantage in baseball is the smallest of any of the four large sports Mm -hmm. and that makes sense to a certain degree but it's less of a home field advantage than football certainly less than basketball less than hockey but walking in there you just feel like oh my god we're gonna get our teeth kicked in yeah and i mean the only like real logical thing that i can think of and it's really just this iteration of this this Mariners team it's just the amount of left-handed hitters and how Mm -hmm. that is that is a right-handed hitters ballpark and this is Mm -hmm. the the same the same happened at yankee stadium um but uh yeah, it's it's you're not yet. I hate yeah. those Crawford boxes. I used to hate that stupid hill. I just yep. hate that stadium. I hate it. I hate it more than anything. Yeah, it's weird that it's, it doesn't seem like when you watch a, a game there, there's like a weird orange tint to everything. Like like it's almost like yes. your screens on fire. You know what I'm talking about? You know how you know how we've talked in the past about certain stadiums give you that optical illusion that their outfield goes on forever. Like the outfield in Arizona goes on Definitely forever. Definitely did. Yes. <laughs> okay. The outfield in 
Houston feels like it is like two feet. Like yeah. if you hit a if you hit a pop up, it's gonna be a home run. I hate it there. I just yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, Root has started to do this cool thing at the beginning of games where they show the the Safeco or sorry, my bad, dollar in the jar there. T Mobile Park oh. dimensions uh, juxtaposed in into the wherever they're playing, um, and you can see the differences there. Really cool thing, um, you know, just with cool graphics there to show like the light blue wall and yeah it's it's a safe go or jesus wait t-mobile and uh and minimate are just they're basically you know inverses in terms of, of how, yeah. how friendly they are yeah it, it sucks i hate playing there I, I if we can get one damn it that is a, that is a miracle at this point because yeah. uh you know it's it's we could easily lose these next two games by 20 runs yeah and i wouldn't even i would not be shocked at all if that happened and you know what even if the worst comes to pass and we do lose these next two by 20 runs, it's not the end of the season. Mm-hmm. We still have a shot, a shot, but God damn, we really, really should try and split these. Yeah. Just and get the, one. Just and this, get one. This is why that Kansas city series hurts so much is because there there's, you know, you knew this was coming. You knew that yeah. the, the, the trip to minute made was going to be there and games are going to get wins are going to be hard to come by there. So every game you didn't win against Kansas city, you had to scrape one against a better team. And, and why the why the series against the Diamondbacks are so important, you know, yeah. getting that sweep was absolute on the positive and optimistic note, getting that sweep in, in Arizona, in Arizona, you know, they're a bad team, but going into somebody's ballpark and getting a sweep doesn't matter if they're the Orioles or, you know, the Dodgers. It's hard. It's very hard. Going into, you mean, uh, the Mariners version of Florida, Arizona? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Going into the Mariners version of Florida. Yeah. The, where there's a bunch of rabid, old, drunk, um, rich Mariners fans that are just down, down to party. It's actually a they very. They were making noise. They very, were making noise for us. Very friendly environment. Um, yeah. Wish we could play more games there. Anyways, the Mariners have a magic number. Can you believe we are saying the phrase magic number on this podcast? Uh, then we have a magic number now. Yeah. The Mariners magic number. It's gotta be like, there's 25 games left. It's gotta be like 25. It is 28, uh, with 24 games to go. Meaning the Mariners have to win between these two things have to happen. Mariner wins plus Yankee losses. Why Yankees they're ahead of the, they're behind the Red Sox in the standings. Well, the Yankees have played less games, three less games than Boston has. Uh, so the, that number Mariners wins plus Yankee losses of 28 would at, at, as it currently stands, get the Mariners into the playoffs. So that's what we're. What we're so technically, with. we don't. So technically, we don't control our own destiny. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> the, the, because we so are. So if we win out, if we won out, we could still miss the playoffs. Correct. I know it's very, very, very unlikely, but you know. Yes, it, what, as long as your magic number is greater than the number of games left, you do not control your own destiny, and that is what the Mariners are currently looking at, uh, which makes sense. There, there are 24 games to go. you got to win all 24 of those in theory, and then you also need four or in four losses to make up the difference with the Yankees right now. Uh, the division, if you're interested about that, Phil, uh, 31. The Mariners have to win 31 times or combined with Houston losses, uh, and Houston's magic number there is 20. So once Houston gets to 20, 20 wins plus 20 Mariners losses total, uh, they will, they will clinch the division. This stretch here is going to be tricky, um, for the Mariners to pull this off. There are nine important games that the Yankees play between the Jays and the Red Sox. I believe they played the Jays six times and the Yankees or the Red Sox three times, or maybe I have that backwards. The, the Red Sox and Blue Jays do not play each other. So 
The Red Sox and Blue Jays don't have any games against each other for the rest of the year. Correct. Which I think is actually in the Mariners benefit um, because they can just root for the Yankees and it doesn't get too complicated with all the teams beating up on each other. Don't don't we want them all to be playing each other as much as possible? It's it again, like I said, it's tricky because if you had two teams winning two of those teams winning the majority of the games, then they would move forward and that makes two obstacles for the Mariners to play. So the, the best scenario is the Yankees to do damage to the Red Sox and Blue Jays. Um, in it, so, you know, as, as much as the Mariners would love to pass the Yankees too, be because the Yankees are one of the best teams, the Red Sox and Blue Jays play the rest of the way out. Uh, it kind of need them to take care of business. And uh, that's, that's a tricky proposition given how well Toronto has been playing. Um, there's a current, series going on right now they won 8-0 in yankee stadium last night uh so that's that's a big one right there so as you can see i have a lot of expertise on baseball things but you have (laughs) you have started to find my one blind spot math you know what that is no playoff scenarios because (laughs) i haven't really had to uh think too hard about that for about 20 years no seriously this 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 is foreign territory for both of us um all i can really do is look at the schedule and see see where things could happen for us there's also 16 very important games that the jays and red sox have against the baltimore orioles who are terrible uh that we need the orioles to not completely lay down there if they go like five and 11 in those games that is a huge huge win because it could very well be like two and 14 and that would that would make it very hard for the mariners to get past there because the mariners are running out of games against really bad teams uh to 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 compensate for that so but we do have i i almost prefer the fact that we do have the red Sox and the a's in front of us yep and that kind of, to me, feels better than having an easy team just because it's like, okay, you know, it's time to put up. It's time to go head-to-head with your competition. Yeah, I think, to put this simply, obviously the Mariners have to be better than the A's. That speaks for itself. But between the Red Sox, Yankees, and uh, and Blue Jays, pick two. Or, no, sorry, pick pick one as your as your team if you want if you want to pick the blue jays fine they can win as much as they freaking want and and vault over everybody uh but that has to come at the expense of huge drastic failure for for the red sox and yankees if you want the red sox to be your team fine that's fine but that means that the yankees and blue jays have to really suck down the stretch so yeah so basically what you're telling me is to pick one team of those three the either the red sox blue jays or yankees and and just root for them to clean up Yes, exactly. That would, that, that would make things the most simple on the Mariners. Of course, that won't happen, but um, that's how it goes. And probably we don't want to pick the Blue Jays because they are they have the most work to do, so to speak. Yes. And that, yeah, okay. that, that would make it harder for, for the Mariners to get yes. in. But the Blue Jays are much more fun to root for than either of those yeah. teams. But that's, you know, that's that's out of our control. Uh, there's a hidden wrinkle to the schedule here and something that could be in the Mariners' favor is that the Tampa Bay Rays, who are world beaters, and I'll talk about them later for how awesome they are. They have eight games left against Boston and Toronto. They are currently playing Boston, and Toronto is still uh, Toronto is the the series that they have against Toronto is their fourth to last series. The Rays fourth to last series. Why does that matter? Well, Tampa is four games up in the pennant race right now and may clinch down the stretch. And if they clinch, then they have no incentive to actually put up a pro- productive for. Uh, 
um, you know, any, any sort of real front against Toronto in that series. So because they don't play Toronto at the very end of the season, when Tampa may have already clinched it, that works in the Mariners favor because Tampa can beat anybody and uh, getting them to play the teams we need them to beat at full strength is important. Okay. I understand. So we are, <laughs> I think to, 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 again, try and make this as simple as possible, huge Yankee Oriole and Rays fans going forward. Okay. I'm down with the, for, for uh, the last two Rays and Orioles. I'm never going to be a Yankees fan. <laughs> so you're going to have to figure out a different scenario for me. It is the emotional hedge. If the Yankees win, it's not the end of the world, especially when yeah. it's against the Red Sox and Blue Jays. Um, okay. Anything else in the playoff race here other than we're, we're scoreboard watching? Um, yeah, I just, I, 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 I think the worst case scenario that could happen for the Mariners is, you know, exactly what you just said. These teams, like we don't have remind, correct me if I'm wrong, but we don't have Houston again. Do we, this no. is our last two games, <laughs> only two games left. Thank God. But here's, here's the problem. Does Houston have games at the very end of the season against Oakland? Let's look at the uh, because ask. that that would be devastating if Houston was just resting everyone and Oakland was hanging around and they got you know they got they snuck in because Houston's playing a bunch of of of, of minor leaguers. Yes, the 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 Astros do end with three games against uh, the A's in Houston um, in a okay. scenario like you're saying where the, where Houston. Now, here's the thing: Houston could still, in theory, compete for the pennant um, if the Rays yeah. drop off, but they are a few games back there. So that's not good. No, but I also think that the Mar the Mariners have seven games against Oakland and can can really put distance yeah. between them. And and you know, if, if Oakland continues yeah. in the way they're trending, it's not going to matter too much if they get three freebies against Houston at the end of the year. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. One thing on this is that uh, I really appreciate Scott's service being candid about this when asked, um, is he looking at the scoreboard? And he said, absolutely. <laughs> um, which yeah. I, think, I think it's awesome. Um, you know, it, everyone would tell you a canned answer of, you know, we can control, we can control, but he's like, no, hell yeah. We're, we're in a playoff race. We work our tails off uh, and we are trying to play as much baseball as possible. So uh, I think that's cool, which is a perfect segue because that man, our, our beloved manager of uh, the Seattle Mariners for the last few years is extended. He and I talked about this a few weeks ago um, that this needed to happen with Jerry DePoto and Scott service getting extended. They both did Jerry DePoto. Has Not only an extension for DePoto, but a promotion. Yep. Promoted to base president of baseball operations under chairman of the Mariners baseball party, John Stanton. Uh, Stanton said for DePoto's part here in the two and a half years since he has led the baseball operations group through challenges on and off the field. Uh, he has led the baseball operations group through challenges on and off the field. This is an interesting part while executing on the timeline he laid out. How do we feel about that part? Um, I feel as though if you want to be kind, then you can yeah. say, yeah, that's true. Because if you want to take away last season as, you know, just the, and you want to just give a mulligan for last season, then yes, he yeah. did say, and I remember watching the press conference right when they were, I think the first deal they made was to trade James Paxton. If, if I remember correctly to the Yankees for justice Sheffield and Eric Swanson. Is either that or is Nino, but yeah. Yeah. And one of those two was the first, but you know, they were, they were right in the middle of that flurry of activity in the 2018 off season heading into the 2019 season. And DePoto said by the end of, or by the second half of 2020, I believe we will have a very interesting and somewhat competitive roster. He said something to that effect. Now, if you look at 
2021, I think he has more or less made good on that promise. There is interesting and competitive components to this roster. And, you know, you can talk about the run differential all you want or whatever, whatever. August, they had a plus nine run differential. So, you know, there is interesting competitive components to this team right now. Is it a finished product? Absolutely not. They need to go out in this offseason, and, and we've talked about this a lot, but there is a solid base there to go augment. Right. Other interesting comments there from DePoto as he um, was, you know, in his in his victory lap tour of, of media talking about the um, the extension that he got one of them. I don't have the specific audio or the specific quote, uh, but was him saying something to the effect of the Mariners have put themselves into a position with um, how good their farm system is and how, you know, what they've seen from the, the 2020 or 2021 club uh, is that they, they don't have to trade prospects in a major way in order to acquire talent that they can do it in the other way, which is to shell out for it, uh, which is, great that's exactly what we want to heat in theory what we want to have happen yeah i don't uh, want to hear him say that I, but yeah. him, him saying this was not wise because all it no. does is make a promise to mariner's twitter that uh ex- all of their wildest dreams about spending lavishly this this with this winter are going to happen which they could but we have not seen this ownership group commit to that yet and that's what scares yeah. me and, and that's the thing. And I sent this to you to some effect. You know, I think when you say something like that, people are automatically going to assume you're going to bump the payroll to 150 million. The payroll's at 68 right now. So that means 150 million, you're essentially spending 80 million more. Am I doing that math right? Yeah, more or yeah. less. 80, 82, 82 million. And there's just no way the Mariners are going to do that all in one offseason. I think a reasonable expectation is going to be bumping the payroll to 115 to 120 this offseason, which means getting two two pretty big difference makers and a smaller piece, maybe a couple smaller pieces here and there. And I think that'd be great. I think two difference makers, a la Marcus Simeon and pick pick someone else, um, would be exactly what the doctor ordered. But when you say we're going to go out and spend, you're essentially telling people, you're, you're giving people a pass to get mad at you for not spending enough. Yes. And we know that that'll happen basically regardless that um, even if, yeah. even if we do spend this off season, it'll be, why didn't you spend this last season? Because then you'd be in a position right now. And that's, you know, that's just going to be a snake chasing its tail. For, can I, for ask, can I ask you, a, can I ask you a question? Anytime, Phil. At, at what point I'm going to give you some numbers. Tell me when you would be personally disappointed with the Mariners payroll heading into next year. Okay. So I'll start at the top where you're not going to be disappointed. 150, you're fine, right? I'd be I'd be kind of creeped out if it happened like that. Yeah, uh, but I'd, I'd have some questions. But yeah, I mean, Darian, okay. I'd be okay with that. 130. Yeah, I'm fine. 115. Yeah, still still fine because I think it, it it it's the scenario you just laid out. Yeah, 105. They go a little skimpy, but not terribly so. If as long as Marcus Simeon is in the package, then I'm I'm cool. Basically, yeah, basically I mean, you, at any number. The, theoretically, they could go to 105 and get Simeon plus a minor piece. Yep. Okay, and, so then anything lower than 105, you're probably not happy. Anything less than 100, I'm assuming. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, 100, 100, but then you know, it's it's hard it's hard to see a situation where. The Mariners don't have anyone who's expensive. And so no. like, and, and part of this might be, you know, Kyle Seager leaves. So that's, that's, yeah. that's 15 off the books right there that, um, mm-hmm. 
you know, you'd have to account for in the opposite direction. So yeah, it's hard to imagine them pulling off a trade that was somehow getting them a, a, a inexpensive player that's under long-term control, something they love doing. Um, but uh, they don't really have the money to make that happen. So yeah, I think, I think, I think anywhere from like 95 on, I, I'm, I'm probably okay with because it means that they're doing the types something. of move that, that yeah. you and I are, are hoping they do. Yeah. Uh, good. good I think any, that's there. where I'm at. I think anything above 105, I'll be okay. Yeah. Uh, Scott service also got extended. As I mentioned, uh, did you know he was second in franchise history and wins behind Lou Pinella? You know, I did know that and <laughs> I'm not happy that I knew that, but I did. He's, and it's not even close. He's like the only yeah. guy who's not only in 300 wins or not only in 400 wins like he is, but 300 wins. There's nobody else uh, who has that. Uh, there's been six managers in between Lou Pinella and, uh, and Scott Service, can you name them all? I think I can. Okay. After Lou was Bob, a guy named Bob Melvin, who is now yeah. the May A's manager. <laughs> Probably should have never been fired, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Then after him, there was, well, I, okay. Let me just try and name them instead of going in order. Yep. Okay. So you got Bob Melvin. Yep. You got Don Wakamatsu. Mm-hmm. You got Eric Wedge. Yep. You got Lloyd McClendon. Hey, Lloyd. Okay, so Lloyd was right before service, so I'm gonna have to go back a little ways. So I got four of them. Yep. Um, oh, you got John McLaren. Yep. Okay, and, and then you, God, it's the guy who left like in the middle of the season. What the hell was his name? Uh, Mike. Don't tell him. Mike. Mike. Mike Hargrove. There you go. Yeah, I got them all. The the lost the lost manager um, who who just quit in the middle of the night. Yeah. Uh, Scott service is the only guy of that entire group who got extended to a second contract. So, uh, kind of the, a, a real dark period in Mariners history. And it, before that, it's not great either before Lupinella, um, as everyone knows, this franchise was terrible, but yeah, Scott service is kind of the guy. I mean, I, I think I've made the, um, the Brett Brown comparison with him for a mm-hmm. long time here that he was the, the Sixers coach through their, you know, incredible, uh, you know, the process, their rebuild, and he earned the right through coaching those guys up and genuinely loving that job and, and pouring himself into it and being down for the shittiness of throwing out a bad team over and over uh, to get to see them through the, the good days. And I think that's yeah. exactly the case with Scott Service, but I also think Scott, Scott Service um, objectively has, has done a lot of cool things this year that would make me think that uh, he could still be the guy. He's, he's done a great job with this year's bullpen, obviously gets a lot out of young players or, or you know, <laughs> has been able to, to write a, uh, a sometimes rocky ship this year. Um, and, and, and he's and, had a lot of challenges that weren't his fault this year. And you know, build, starting build a, even build in a the very resilient yeah. team that, that yeah. you know, can get punched in the mouth and, and bounce back. We've seen that over and over this year. You know, we talk a lot about player improvement and stuff like that, but it only makes sense to talk about managerial improvement. This is going to be what his sixth year, you said seventh yep. year next year. And I think in a lot of ways, Scott Service has become a, and I don't really like ranking managers because I think there's tiers. I think it's better to do tiers where it's just like, these guys are God awful and they need to go. These guys are generally okay and pretty good. And then these are the upper echelon managers. I think Scott Service for the longest time was just in the, these guys are generally okay. He's whatever bucket. And I think over the last seven years, he's one of those guys who's starting to become, turn into the bucket of, this is a genuinely good manager you want to hold on to. Yeah. I, I, I don't think that uh, there's anything wrong with saying that. And um, you know, if, if, 
if anything, eh, I was just going to say who was more likely to get extended. It was probably DePoto, but you know, service wasn't too, too far behind and it would have been weird to, to not do both. And so I'm glad it happened overall. Some, uh, some DePoto stuff here. Um, si since July 27th, your AL war leaders are, uh, well, just to, to take a snapshot here, Ty France is 15th in that regard and Abraham Toro is 19th. So two guys that they got from the last two trade deadlines. Uh, Tyler Anderson among pitchers is 10th in ale uh, Fangraphs war and Chris Flex in his 13th, two guys that DePoto found under rocks. And then of players traded at the deadlines uh, since the deadline, according to ESPN's war uh, number is a little bit different. Number one guy in terms of that metric, uh, Max Scherzer has been ridiculous mm. with the Dodgers. Starling Marte has been ridiculous with the A's. And then uh, Trey Turner is your number three guy there. Tied with Trey Turner is Abraham Toro. Next there, number for tied for four, tied for, I guess, fifth with a bunch of other guys. Uh, that would be Tyler Anderson, who at 0.9 more is tied with Jose Barrios, who cost a whole lot more. A whole uh, lot more, yeah. And that's Tyler. why, generally speaking, trade deadline analysis is sort of funny because, like, especially if it's two guys you're comparing who are rentals, Tyler Anderson, Barrios isn't a rental. They have him for next year, too. Mm -hmm. But if it's two rentals, like, you're talking about three months of a season. Like, anything can happen in three months. Like, Tyler Anderson could easily go out and be better than Barrios, you know? So, I think it's, A, a wonderful thing. B, they should work hard to attempt to re-sign him. I think he's a good fit here as kind of an innings guy and maybe even a little bit more. And, you know, the Mariners have found success with that type of player. They found success with Chris Flexen, you know, middling a little below average stuff. Good command. They found success with Marco, middling a little below average stuff. Good command. I think they can find similar success with Anderson here. It seems like they know how to handle those types of pitchers. So, yeah, someone, someone I'd like to see them try and bring back in the offseason. And Anderson has been such a boon because of his consistency. We called him Fiverr Anderson. He still has not uh, gone less than five innings in any of his starts. And just for how, what that did for the, the starting rotation, not having to throw Darren McCacken out there for the bullpen start uh, and therefore having McCacken go two innings and then the, the bullpen is completely shot for the rest of the series. All out what we saw last night has been just so, so nice. Um, and the cost on all of those guys to, to get all of what I just said, uh, the Mariners, all they had to do is trade Kendall Graveman, Rafael Montero, Austin Nola, Austin Adams, Joaquin Tejada and Carter Bins. You miss any of that, Phil? I don't, um, you know, maybe there's a chance that I might miss Carter Bins at some point. I don't know. It's possible, I suppose, but as they always say, a bird in the hand, we're two in the bush. And it is, it is not only pro possible, it is likely, it is likely just based on what we know about minor league players that Tyler Anderson is going to, in his, even if this is all we ever see of Tyler Anderson, Seattle Mariner, he's been worth almost, what'd you say? One more yep. in his time with the Mariners. It is likely, in fact, greater than 50% chance that Tyler Anderson in just these three months that he's with the Mariners, if he never puts on a Mariners hat again, will be worth more war than Carter Benz and Joaquin Tejada combined Yeah, in their entire careers. And that's just uh, the unfortunate reality of being a minor league prospect, fringy minor league prospect. You know who definitely subscribes to that theory? Who's that? AJ Preller. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is true. And AJ, sometimes it burns you. 
AJ Preller has burned every uh, lump of coal in the uh, the San Diego Padres farm system engine to make it happen, and that's yeah. not really working for him. But um, that's that's the risk. So yeah, I mean, obviously, you and I are, are huge fans of of Depoto's work. Uh, at be, being Mariners fans for as long as we have, and seeing a team that actually has a direction and is going places and is building for not just the now but the next is. Uh, is really exciting. And I'm glad that he gets the opportunity to see this through however he wants to do it. If he wants to stick around and see all these prospects materialize into great players for the Mariners or however, or, or trade them into whatever he has earned that right because he got us into this situation. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that the Mariners did it. How long this extension is. We don't know. That's a, a peculiar thing that we don't know that the length Isn't of this it contract weird? It's really weird that we know we know every detail intimately of all the player contracts, but we don't know the most important contract in the organization. It's I mean, it, it literally could be a one year. and We would just find out yeah. at the end. Um, someone will leak it. That's how it happened last time. No one really knew until someone from MLB.com said that it was three years for both of them. Um, so we'll just have to see. And hopefully it's it's longer than that. I think they've earned that. But um, three years might be the number again. One other thing that we missed because I think of, of some uh, some podcast scheduling in late July is that we missed it. Uh, while Jerry DePoto is now president of baseball operations, Katie Griggs is president of the business side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, that was announced on July 28th. Our bad for missing that. Uh, Katie was chief business officer for the Atlanta United in the MLS. All I really know about them is that they do a really good job of marketing and bringing people to uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium to have people watch the United play. Uh, she was slated to actually start working from the original release with six weeks left in the regular season, uh, which would basically be now. So Katie Griggs yep. may have started her uh, tenure as president of business operations already. Um, I, I think after Labor Day would probably make some sense for how normal people's schedules work. So uh, we are in the I Katie, don't know if Katie those Griggs types era. of people's schedules work the same <laughs> way our schedules work. <laughs> That's true. But I could I could imagine yeah. something where it's like, when would you like to start? And she's like, well, after Labor Day might be nice. And you know, I'd get the kids yeah. back at school or whatever, whatever, um, that, uh, you know, that, that's, that's a logical thing, but that, that would either way it's either started or, um, it just started. And, uh, so welcome, welcome Katie Griggs, the organization. Yeah. And I think, I think real quick, just on that, um, honestly, neither of us know very much about her. I think that's fair, a fair assessment. And I hope she does really well. However, the only thing I do want to say that I think we can all take as an absolute positive is the fact that there is now clear delineation between the baseball side of things and the business side of things. When you had Kevin Mather just being this kind of his title was literally president of of the Seattle Mariners. When you had that, you weren't really sure. I mean, obviously, he was on the business side, but you weren't really sure how much of that was sort of seeping into the baseball ops department. And now I think just speaking from a stru- uh, corporate structural flowchart, you know, type of deal, it's it's much better and more clearly delineated that, hey, she's got the business aspect of baseball. You have the player acquisition and personnel side. And I think that's just a much healthier sort of. And of course, there's going to be crossover between the two there. They're, you can't avoid that. But I think just having that delineation is is a much healthier way for the organization to function. It seems like a structure that would allow it. Jerry DePoto to more regularly and uh, more easily make decisions that are in the best interest of the Seattle Mariners. And uh, that was not always the case because then there's, you know, how, how can, how can we do good by the Mariners, but also do good by the ledger and that um, 
will surely happen. It will continue to happen, but I think to a lesser degree than uh, than in the Mather area when we got full transparency into how he thinks. And um, yep. you know, so. I'm gonna miss that. I'm gonna miss that inside look into how <laughs> how they think. God, yeah. One day, one day we will do as a Pruder film of of. Uh, yeah. Of, of that maybe a live watching and doing like a stop and start of a pause it let's talk about this part. it was just i i know we haven't talked about it in a long time because it is kind of water under the bridge at this point but oh my god can you believe that happened i wonder yeah i just want to know what the next meeting at the, the bellevue breakfast rotary club was like after after yeah. that all came out. <laughs> like did they did they feel bad they got him fired or were they just like that guy was an idiot because all we were asking was about how's julio rodriguez and the first yeah. thing he says is, is not great english <laughs> or like what were their thoughts on that whole thing yeah that's still on the wish yeah. list is to get someone from the club yeah. to, to talk with us even if it's in the the gangland voice um yeah it, you know yeah. it can sworn to anonymity prong three here just just a quick peek this this can be a very quick thing but i did want to bring this up because it, it was brought to my attention um uh in some mariners media recently about how strong at least on paper the 2022 mariners bullpen is set up to be as currently constructed so these are just the righties under in theory mariners club control basically what i'm saying is the mariners want them back they will be back paul seawald who Undoubtedly, mm-hmm. will be back. Undoubtedly, yeah, maybe no doubt. Closer for next year. Ken Giles, who um, was signed to a two-year deal, was hurt all of this year. That was the part of the plan. Was only paid one million dollars for this year. Will be paid five million for next year. Uh, Andrew Steckenrider, uh, Casey Sadler, Diego Castillo, um, Andres Munoz, who we talked about earlier, Johan Ramirez, who has looked like nails recently, Eric yeah. Swanson, who still has plenty of promise in his arm, and very, and he's honestly been quite good this year. Yeah. Anthony Mashevich and Anthony Mashevich is the only lefty of this group. So uh, mm-hmm. this group could be nasty. And I said, Ken Giles's contract because he is the only player in this group slated to make before arbitration uh, a, more than a million dollars. And so oftentimes when teams are trying to gear up for contention, they have to spend money to go get a 10 or $12 million bullpen arm or $16 million Craig, Craig Kimball or something like that. The Mariners will not have to do that to have a very competitive bullpen um, next year. And if they want to make, you know, slight tweaks, they can, but um, that is a tremendous position to be from a, from a team building perspective. And can I make a point really quickly about the lefty righty thing in the bullpen? Yes doesn't matter as much as it used to now that guys have to face three, yep. no matter what it, I mean, it still matters. You obviously need lefties in your bullpen. It's not as paramount to have like three lefties and, and you can't make it without three lefties. It's there's a lot more leeway now because chances are, if you're going in for three batters, you're facing both left-handed hitters and right-handed hitters. So it's more so just let's get some good guy, good bullpen pieces. Yeah, and they yeah. definitely have that. Um, so the number is usually eight for eight bullpen arms. Obviously, that would expand in, in September, theoretically. Um, so someone in that bunch is probably going to have to, to miss the cut. Uh, is, is it, do you move on from Steckenrider? Like, what, what, is, what is your gut instinct there? Because uh, Seawald, Giles, Steckenrider, Sadler, Castillo, Munoz, uh, Mishevich, that leaves one spot left for Johan Ramirez or Eric Swanson. Well, let's go through the locks. Diego Castillo is a lock. Ken Giles is a lock. Munoz is a lock. So wait, Castillo, Giles, Munoz, Seawald. Those are four locks. I would say Casey Sadler at this point has earned the right to be a lock. 
he's got he's got to be a lock. So that's five locks, and then we can carry what eight guys in the pen. Yep, I think I think Mashevich. Brings... You got to have Mashevich. You got to have one lefty, so yep. he's a lock. So that's, six. Yep. I think you got to keep Johan in the bullpen. <laughs> I mean, from from a nastiness perspective, he certainly has a leg up on at least Swanson, uh, if not Steckenrider. So really, it's it's Steckenrider, Swanson, Johan on the bubble, which is man, that's a good bubble right there. Yeah, and and the Mariners got plenty more out of Steckenrider, who a guy who I call the Jag before this year uh, has been anything but that. So you know, there might be, you know, a suggestion that this this is as good as it gets, but you could do a lot worse as your than your him being your eighth man at a bullpen. I wonder if they're going to get creative and try and ship some of these guys out. Certainly feels like it. It's possible. I would almost bet on it um, because, yeah. because there's a, there's a surplus there and we're not even talking about the possibility of, you know, at some point next year, do you want to have room for Emerson Hancock to join you and yeah. later in late in the year? So yep. they have a lot to work with here. And that's the, you know, this is this entire prong here is just saying pretty, good prob- pretty good fun problem to, to have. Pretty fun to think that the Mariners are getting two very good arms in the bullpen for free in Ken Giles and Andres Munoz. Yep. Yeah. And, and, you know, rested arms and we've seen, yeah. uh, you know, look no further than Kendall Graveman for the ability for a player to really, um, you know, add something to what they had before after Tommy John surgery. So it's, it's really exciting stuff there. Um, and yeah, well, I, we promised the first time we talked about Ken Giles, we wouldn't talk about it again, but uh, he was nasty in his last. Well, it's to be fair, it's on, almost the end of the season now. So, yeah. So here we are and, and looking ahead to the future, which we will do more as uh, we get clarity as to what the rest of the 2021 campaign looks like. But that is it uh, for regular programming here. So let's hop off. Uh, let's hop off, but then hop right back on to the Eric Burns bike ride of the week. Who is who is leaving the stadium in a pit of shame? this week and you, you teased this earlier. So I think it's, I think it's you, Phil, you are. Leaving. Yeah, it's me. I am the bike rider of the week okay. because I just, I, you know, okay, let me walk you through my day yesterday. I was just on Sunday. I drove down to Olympia after the Mariners had beaten the diamondbacks and I was just in, on cloud nine. And I was just thinking, you know, Oh, you, what, well, what can happen if we do this or if we win two out of three here or this or that. And then, you know, the, the thought just, it, it, it just flutters across my mind that, Hey, what happens? You know, we, what if we beat, what if we sweep Houston? What if we stream Houston in minute mate? And then I thought, no, 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 no. But anyway, then I go to bed and I wake up the next morning. I think I even texted you. I think we can do it. I think we can sweep Houston. And I sit down, I get all excited to watch the game. I'm over in Olympia and I put it on and I, within 30 seconds. I said, Oh yeah, this is why we can't sweep Houston. So it's just, it's, I guess it's just me for being, and I'm really not this person as I'm not overly optimistic about the Mariners. I'm pretty realistic when it comes to them, but I allowed myself to get dreamy and I paid the price. So I, I am, I am the bike ride. You are not alone in that, Phil. I'm, I'm certainly there with you. Uh, my bike ride goes to the reason you found out in 30 seconds that this wasn't going to be it is uh, Yusei Kikuchi, not necessarily him. He, he's done plenty for us and has had some bright spots this year. Uh, but his contract, the four-year, $66 million team option that he, um, you know, what the Mariners have to think about uh, is just, it's not going to happen. There's, there's just no way. He, so the, when the Mariners decline that, he will have, until the fifth day after the World Series ends 
to pick up potentially a one-year $13 million deal, uh, which I think, based off of what his you know value is right now and his inconsistency, he would pick up in a heartbeat uh, unless a team can give him three years, 30, and he wants the, the long-term um, stability. But I don't know. I, I feel like there's, there's still a, a great likelihood, even if the Mariners turn down this Yusei Kikuchi option, uh, that he will still be a Mariner next year because of that one-year option. Yeah, I think it's getting more clear and more clear. I, I remember when we initially talked about this contract, we said there is a small, narrow band of possibilities where the Mariners decline their side of the option and Kikuchi declines his side of the option. And that was actually looking almost kind of like we could have hit that sweet spot at some point during this season where, you know, the Mariners didn't want to commit to 466. They thought that was a little too much. But also on the other end, Kikuchi thought, I can get, I can do better than one for 13. But just given his recent performance, I think it's, I think it, we're trending in the direction where obviously I think it's a foregone conclusion that the Mariners declined their part of the option. But Kikuchi, I think we're trending in the direction where he's going to pick up his option. And it looks likely that the Mariners are going to have him one for 13 next year. You know who could who could rescue everybody here? Who's that? The Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Yes, <laughs> they they seem ready made to say, "Hey, how, how's how's two for for uh, for twenty nine sound?" Uh, yeah, and and just just make everybody make make it work, or maybe two for twenty five. Um, yeah, they're they're that team where the money is is always ready to go. So we'll see, but um, that'll certainly be interesting. We'll have a five day countdown once the World Series is over uh, on the on the Kikuchi deal. Your Golden Hydro or Hydros? Uh, I only have one this week. Okay, but it is Luis Torrens for playing third base and playing it actually somewhat decently last night. I, he only had one opportunity. And he made the play. So I would call that a decent a decent showing in his first time ever at third base. And boy, does it seem like the Mariners are just itching to put him at third base when Kyle Seager is gone. Yeah, or, you know, and they certainly have to figure a lot out with uh, where does Toro go in a world where they do sign a guy like Marcus Simeon or a prime yeah. second baseman and is Toro more of a utility player. But And then what, what happens with Evan White next? Okay, <sighs> just follow my logic for a second. Right now, the infield is kind of almost full. And I know that doesn't sound like right at all, but okay, let's just say in the in a world, you have Evan White playing first, Toro playing second, JP playing shortstop, and then like Ty France playing third. It almost feels like that's a full infield. And obviously Tip France, you'd rather have him at DH or first base. I understand that. And there's definitely room to move people around. But it just feels like that's kind of like where I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. It, it's really I they have a lot of weird decisions that they're going to have to make on roster construction coming up this year. If Ty France wins a gold glove, which is not out of the realm of possibility at all, he is not allowed. In yeah, he's been so, so good. If Ty France wins a gold glove, what is the point of Evan White at first base? Yeah, that's 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 quite a good question. Um, if you if you can have the best first baseman, the best fielding first baseman be Ty France, why do you need one that's twenty five percent better defensively um, and a lot worse offensively? I don't know. It's, it's it's a good question. What's going on with Evan White? Like, are is he on? The, is he going to make the team next year? Like, <laughs> I I mean, he has a he has a contract, and he is one of those guys. If you remember correctly. He signed one of those um, 
deals that cut his his long term risk, but helped his long term stability. He did the six year, you know, twenty million dollar contract. Mm-hmm. So, so, so they're, the Mariners are committed to him. I, I just don't, I don't know what's going to go on with him. Yeah, I mean, like you've said this before, you got to get him at bats, but how, where, and if you're a contending where? team, you know, it's, it's, it, there could be a situation where he's just kind of a, a, a utility player next year and playing playing in the corners in the outfield. Uh, and anything is possible, and and like you said, it's 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 going to be tricky to figure out. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's. Don't be surprised if, if Evan White stays as, as the permanent first baseman or are over. Um, but we'll see. Uh, my hydro was I have three quickly. Oh, oh, okay. Johan Ramirez, as mentioned for all he's, he's done. He was huge in the Arizona series. He was once a guy who was just, you know, we are already down by eight. What's what's wrong with being down by 11. Uh, he is now a relied upon pitcher and has made adjustments to his game that you talked about earlier. This is his sixth stint with the major league club this year because he's been up and down so many times. Brandon, 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 <laughs> I got to interrupt you for a second. Yeah. There's big breaking news right now. Uh Oh, Garrett Cole leaves the game after he signals to the dugout. Oh, God. Wow. And he's pointing to his elbow. And the Yankees are down three to one in the bottom of the floor. Yeah. Wow. That, that, ah, oof. What are we thinking? Cause like he was needed for them down the stretch. That's, that's going to be rough. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, but continue. Uh, yeah. You, Johan Ramirez um, is Gary Cole now. I think that's what I was just trying yeah. to say. Yeah. The, uh, I have the Tampa Bay Rays for the taking the intentional block in extras yesterday. Um, the, I like that. The Tampa Bay Rays, uh, when this first happened, I was like, what? I was listening to it on the radio and um, it was because the Mar- there's in extras. You, you automatically get the zombie runner on second. The Rays were up two. They said F that and took the block to move the runner to third because the runner has a much harder time trying to steal signs when at third. And that mm-hmm. was, they, they have deemed that important. And I just think regardless of whether that has, is going to be borne out as an effective strategy or not, and something that needs to keep happening. Uh, I love the Rays for doing this, for doing the opener so many years ago, for how they run everything, for seeing conventionality and spitting in its face over and over because they are trying to find every advantage they possibly can. And that's why they're awesome. Yeah. I, I wonder why they didn't feel like just switching up their signs was enough. I guess, you know, the, the runner could still figure them out. Um, yeah. So yeah. It, it, they just, they just for, for went the, 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 you know, the first runner they're up to, they wouldn't have done that if they were only up one. Yeah, of course. But, but yeah, uh, it is, it, 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 that run is meaningless. Like I'm sure if they, if they could, they would just balk them home too. Like that guy means absolutely nothing, you know? Yeah. I'm surprised we haven't seen more of the immediately in that situation. Maybe I guess you bring the winning run to, run to the plate, but walk the first guy and then you have the double play. Yep. I, that was the only other thing I could think of is like, you might not want to do that because you want to keep the double play intact, but also, You'll have the double play intact either way if you put the guy on first. So I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, but uh, good on them for for innovating. And uh, lastly, to to, to Arkansas, uh, Matt Brash, Nate Fisher, and Dayson Arias, a combined no hitter in Arkansas. Uh, Matt Brash did the yeoman's work in that group. Uh, went six, mm-hmm. and struck out ten. A guy who we talked about, and that would usually mean that he would start sucking. He has been continued to be lights out. He is so awesome. Oh yeah, yeah, he has been amazing. He. I mean, me and you have talked about him many times and we've even, I've even gotten crazy and thought, who's the, who would you rather have? 
you know, Will- uh, the combo of Williamson and Brash or the combo of Hancock and Kirby, two guys with pedigree or two guys with like, oh my God, blow you away stuff. So it's just good, good, good news all around in the, in the minor league pitching um, sphere. Yep. Uh, dig it all the way around. And uh, best news, Phil, is that it's the top of the second. The Mariners are still tied 0-0 with the Houston Astros. So game is not out of reach yet, uh, but give it time uh, because it, it may happen fast. Anyways, uh, good stuff, Phil. We are in the stretch run. We are almost done with Houston. They are almost out of our lives for, for this year. And uh, we'll see what uh, the next week brings, brings us. All right. Take care. We'll talk again next Tuesday. All right. Be easy, my friend.